I'll be reading the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11 this morning. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Well, good morning. I just wanted to uh, remind you of what we talked about last week. This is a great book in 2 Corinthians, and uh, it starts off uh, digging right into our souls, right into the ache of our lives, our, our trials and our tribulations. It dives right into the pain of life and at the same time offers us incredible hope. And let me just read what we talked about from the beginning of 2 Corinthians to remind you, and we do need to be reminded, and Brian, thanks for that, that last song especially. We, we serve God alone, and He is the one who makes us alive. He is the one who gives us life. And he is the one who loves us beyond all measure, stepping into our lives all along this Christian journey of ours. And look at verse 3 of, of 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion. He is the God of all comfort. And He comforts us. This is who our God is in all of our troubles. And as He does that, He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those in any trouble, any affliction, with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God and we have. That's many of us as we ask, who's been comforted by God? This room filled up with our hands raised because it's true of our God. Because life is full of trial. Each and every one of us, whatever degree it is, we face trial and tribulation and suffering and heartache. And, and we're trying to understand how, what God is doing in the middle of this. God, you have my life. God, you love me, but I'm right in the middle of the storm. What do you have for me? And I think he's reminding us through Paul, God is the God of all comfort. Remember? Parakaleo. He is the God who will, because he's a God who keeps his promise, he will come by your side. And he will comfort. It's not just a warm, fuzzy blanket. He will strengthen you. He will lift you up. He will give you courage. 
He will give you life right in the middle of it. The promise is he's not going to take you out of it. He doesn't say that. The promise is he's with you right in the middle. That's who our God is. And this morning we're going to learn about a God who raises the dead. You think, how in the world will I ever make it through life? How in the world will anything be restored? How in the world will my broken marriage ever get through? Because we serve a God who raises the dead. How will I ever survive this physical illness? Because we serve a God who delivers us. And a God who walks through with us. You know what, a lot of you dear saints have walked a hard journey. And you've lived a lot more years than I have on this planet. And you've gone through a lot of pain. And God's been teaching you a lot. And as I was studying this passage, and as Jackson and I were looking over in the elders and we were praying about it, um, there's a dear saint in this body who is a dear sister and who has, has gone through a journey with Christ uh, that I think, uh, I told her, I said, your story needs to be heard because as you have been comforted by God, you need to pour that out into this body of Christ so that we may know God better, so that we may glorify God together. And so I've invited uh, my dear sister, uh, Cindy Benoit, to come and to teach us, and to share with us. And so she's going to come and lead us in this study of 2 Corinthians. So come on up, Cindy. Well, Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I just thank you for my sister. I thank you for her life in you, and I thank you for her joy in you in the middle of the trial. And Father, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fall upon her, that your spirit would minister through her. Grant her your grace and your truth and just speak through her right now to this body. Would our hearts see you more through our dear sister. In your precious name, amen. Thank you. Well, I normally talk to a group of men and women that are about with about 50 people. And so I didn't know today whether I needed to take my glasses off so I can't see you <laughs> or be able to look you straight in the eye. And I think I see enough smiles. I think I'll keep the glasses on so that I can, so that I can uh, see what you're thinking and that type of thing. Uh, have you ever found yourself at the end of your rope? Uh, think about your children as you were raising them, uh, have you ever got to the end of your rope with them? I can remember uh, when my children would, would, you could tell that they were getting really close to the end of the line. And there's something that happens with your voice. Uh, when they get to that point, you begin to speak louder, you speak with staccato, and you also use their full name, first, middle, and last. <laughs> 
because you you want to get their attention. And usually, when they can tell because they've heard your voice long enough, they know that they better come and at least look you in the eye. And I know when my children were young, I could watch them as they would, as they knew that they were getting to that end of my rope. I was getting to the end of my rope. It was like sometimes they'd still want to take that big toe and just still try and step over the line. And, you know, but as I started raising my children, we had three children, and I noticed that my rope started getting longer and longer with each child <laughs> because my patient, I finally figured out that you have to draw, pick your battles, and then draw the lines at, with, with a little more ease there. Uh, but most of the time when I came to the end of my rope, it was with my children, it was usually that I had, was close to running out of patience. It really wasn't that I had gotten to the end of my rope. But today we're going to look at Paul. And uh, we want to know, because in this passage, he starts to talk about getting to the end of his rope. And so as we think about Paul, we have to say, okay, what kind of a rope did Paul have? How long did he, uh, you know, is he a wimp? Is he a whiner? <laughs> no, so, you, so you have to start looking, because when somebody wants to describe the end of their, when they are in trauma, you want to say, okay, what kind of trauma are you talking about? So I went to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to draw you a picture of what Paul's life was for the gospel. He says in there, he was beaten times without number, often in danger of death. This is in Second Corinthians chapter 11. Five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times shipwrecked, he spent all day and a night in the deep. So when you, when you talk about dangers, uh, and I look at that kind of a list, I have to say, Paul was not a wimp. He went through far more than most of us would ever even think about doing that, going. And he did this all for the gospel. That was part of his suffering. He knew that when God called him, he was called to suffer. And so he paid that price. Uh, we only have one record of Paul asking God, why? Or get me out of this. And that was because of a physical affliction that he had. You find that in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Paul didn't tell us what the affliction was. But he said, I went to God three times. And what did God say? Nope, my grace is sufficient for you. And so he went on with life. In other words, Paul, I'm not going to remove this because I love you too much to remove it from you. And so he says, my grace is perfected in weaknesses. And that's really something good to know. Now, I wanted to, talk about, I wanted to ask the question, well, is he a whiner? And as I thought through that question... I thought about the book of Philippians. Do you know where the book of Philippians was written? It really wasn't written on the top of a mountain overlooking a beautiful sunset or a beautiful lake where he was, everything was calm and peaceful. He was in the midst of a Roman prison. And in the midst of the Roman prison, do you know what he's calling everybody to? He's calling everybody to joy. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. 
He will say, Christ is my life. Christ is my joy. Christ is my strength. He was able to rejoice in the midst of something that you and I would be very, very discouraged over. So I have to, I have to, from those two passages, we have to come to the conclusion Paul's not a whiner and he's not a wimp. He knew how he, you know, so if, when Paul gets in this uh, 2 Corinthians passage that we're looking at today, he, uh, we have to say whatever situation he is in, he is at the end of his rope. He really is at his end of the rope. And as I thought about it, it's kind of like when uh, you're, you can imagine a wall that you're in a, in a, a box in four walls. There's no way, there's no windows, there's no doors, and the walls keep coming in closer and closer and closer, and you don't know how to get out of it. And that's where Paul was as we get to this passage. Uh, I want to read that first, Second Corinthians 1, 8 again. He said, we don't want you to be unaware. I don't know where the we, who the we is. He doesn't talk about that. But he does say, I don't want you to be unaware. He's saying there's something about the Christian life that I don't want you to misunderstand. That uh, so many times we believe that when we come to Christ, there's going to be gas in the car, there's going to be food on the table, your kids are going to obey every word you say, your marriage is going to be perfect, and that's just we just kind of come saying, that's because I'm a follower of Christ. That is not the Christian life at all. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware. You need to know this. You need to know that the Christian life is not a piece of cake. In fact, the normal Christian life is one of pain and suffering. And you want to know why? Because God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Tony Snow, I don't know if you know who Tony Snow is, he, or was. He was uh, President Bush's uh, press secretary. He died at the age of 53 of cancer. And uh, he says in here, God relishes surprise. We want lives of simple, predictable ease, smooth, even, even trails as far as the eye can see. But God likes to go off-road. He provokes us with twists and turns. He places us in predicaments that seem to defy our endurance and comprehension, and yet they don't. The challenges that make our hearts leap and our stomachs churn inevitably strengthen our faith and grant measures of wisdom and joy we could not experience otherwise. Isn't that a beautiful statement? So Paul does not want you to be unaware because of the affliction that came to him in Asia. One little bit of information that we gained for that is we know where he was. Whatever is happening, we know where it was. It was in Asia, which is probably in Turkey someplace. But he says that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death on ourselves so that we could not trust ourselves but in God who raises the dead. As Rod talked about last week, he is the God of all comfort. The difference between the trauma in the life of an unbeliever and the trauma in the life of a believer is that we have a God that we can run to. We don't have to be 
discouraged or, or because when we run to him, we run to him for his strength and his wisdom. And he, he comes alongside us. It's like he sits down with us and begins to comfort us, uh, cry with us. You know, he's a God that will weep with us when we weep. And that's, that's good to know. It's, he's not like he's standing afar. He's right there with you in the middle of whatever situation you're going through. And so Paul teaches them a little bit about what happened to him. He calls it affliction. And that word is the word that we talked about a little bit before, a little bit ago, where the walls are, are pressing in on you. There's no way out. And he describes it, he says, we were burdened excessively. In other words, there was a load on him that he couldn't possibly bear. It was beyond his strength. And so it, it, it brought them to the place that they, they didn't even want to go on living. It was like it was the end of the road. And so because we know Paul isn't a wimp, uh, you have to know that whatever was going on, and he doesn't tell us. I wish he would tell us. But in some ways, it's also good because we can take whatever we're going, is going on in our life and we can put that right in there because we can know that we don't have to despair even if there is a load that feels like we cannot bear it. Have you ever been there? What about the death of a loved one? When you, uh, when you, you can't even get your breath. It hurts so bad. You, have to, you, you don't even want to stand up because you, you don't feel like you can. You don't feel like you can go on. That's the kind of a situation that Paul was in. And uh, he did not have any way. He couldn't think his way out. He couldn't buy his way out. There is, was no place to go except he could go to God. Uh, See, Paul's trust was in a God that raises the dead. Is that where your trust is? Do you know the God of all comfort? Uh, How did Paul get to the point where he could trust this kind of a God? What does he know about God? First of all, we have to know he knew his character, he knew his nature. He knew that God loved him. He knew of God's power. And he knew that he could trust this kind of a God. He knew because of all of those other places that he had gone through before. God had proven himself faithful to, uh, to Paul. It came out of Paul uh, in uh, Philippians. He says, I want to know you, God. I want to know you. Now, Paul already knew God. But it was like, he says, I want to know you in the depth. I want to know you so that you become so intimately involved in my life that, that you are the only thing I can see. That your eyes, are the, your approval is the only thing that I want. And because Paul's cry was that, that's a cry that God always answers. That cry to know him better. And that's what we want. That's what I want. I want. I walked with Christ for about 30 years, and I still have that cry. I want to know you. I want to know all about you, not just in my head, but in my heart. Um, 
I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Um, my story is not like Paul's because right now I am not in despair. I am not burdened excessively. I have joy, but there has been some moments where I had to get to the point where I could have that joy, just like Paul does. Uh, and the reason why I am not in despair is because of the same reason that Paul was eventually says, but God, but God. And that's the same reason I can have that same kind of joy. And as I tell my story, it's not like my story is any more traumatic than some of yours. In fact, my story is nothing in comparison to some of the trials and, and situations that maybe you have faced before, maybe you are facing right now. Because the trials uh, that come into our life are multicolored. They come in different, different uh, degrees, different facets. But I do know one thing, that God's grace, he has the specific grace you need for the specific trial that you're in. He is big enough to carry you, no matter what it looks like, he can carry you. And so uh, in May, uh, late May and June of this year, uh, my husband Ken and I went to China on a three-week trip. Before we got ready to go, I had to, he and I had both been having some, we thought it was indigestion, and so we'd gone to the doctor and talked to them a little bit, tested for H. pylori, which is kind of a, like a, you know, they want to get rid of it if you can. Uh, Ken tested positive, I tested negative. My doctor gave me some antacid and said, go to China, enjoy yourself, and I did. Uh, I, we were strong at that point. We were able to walk the Great Wall of China, and actually it's climb, because the Great Wall of China kind of goes up like this, and there was two different roads. Uh, you could choose if you want to go the easy route or the hard route. We took the hard route, and it took us about an hour to get to the top of, of uh, where you could see forever, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. But climbing it, I, I mean, you know, hand over hand climbing this wall, and it was, you know, it was, it was just a great joy and a delight. Uh, we had so much fun and went so many different places. But there was one thing that I started noticing about my husband. And uh, he started asking everybody he knew, every place we would go, he'd say, would you guys take, would, would you guys take a picture of us together? And, I mean, he did it over and over. And I thought, that is odd. And I kind of looked at him. And, I said, <laughs> and he says, you are going to need this. And I thought, God, what's going on? It was like, uh, I mean, it took my breath away because I thought, you're trying to tell me something here, and I don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> and it was him that's going to need the pictures. Uh, when we got back from China, uh, I started having a lot of pain in my back and on my side. And so I went to my doctor, and uh, took a, he took one of those scopes that go down you and, and uh, took a biopsy of my stomach and all sorts of things. He says, nothing wrong with you at all. You know, call me, and I thought, if you have any more trouble, and I thought, well, you didn't really do anything or solve anything at this point. So I went home, and then I started having to, to sleep on a hot pad, sitting up. Finally, I said, uh, I called back, and I said, uh, something's still wrong here. I said, I'm having intense pain. I can't sleep through the night because of the pain. 
And so he gave me a CAT scan, examined it, and he, when I came in to talk to him, I had already done enough research that I knew what was going on. I knew what he was going to say. I'd already gone to the Lord with it. And the Lord had given me peace even before I walked in there. And he was, it was a precious young doctor. And he said, Cindy, you are not healthy. And I said, I know. And he said, you have pancreatic cancer. And I said, I know. He said, what? How can you know? And I said, I know. And I'm okay. And one of, his, uh, one of the medical assistants that works in the office uh, there that I know, uh, she told me later, she said, he said, I'm telling her she's dying and she's glowing. That was because God had already assured me that, it, that I was in his hands, that it was going to be okay no matter what the outcome was. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about pancreatic cancer, especially this is stage four. It's metastasized into my liver. And uh, the average lifespan from diagnosis to death is four months. With treatment, with aggressive treatment, you, you might have 11 months. And I, I, was, I didn't really want to do the aggressive treatment, but my daughter and, and my kids said, you have to try, Mom. And so I, I said, okay, let's go for it. You know, we're going to fight this thing. The first chemo treatment, you know, it's painful and, you know, that kind of stuff, which really didn't bother me. But after about nine days, I, my temperature shot up, and I ended up in the hospital for five days with uh, diverticulitis because the chemo had taken down my resistance, and I didn't even know I had this. So the doctor said, okay, no more chemo for you. See, this was my no other options kind of a place. So in some ways, that was the only thing that I really have in, in, with Paul that I have no more options except God. Uh, and, I, you know, just to think about it for a minute, do you know what chemo does to your hair? I got up yesterday morning and walked past my mirror. Before, you know, I just had turned on the light and I looked over and I thought, who is that bald woman? Because <laughs> it... it it, it's gone. I have, uh, I have a, little, uh, a couple of little grandkids. Last week we took them swimming. I wore a, a cap, which didn't last very long in the water. Pretty soon one of them had flipped it off. And they just love getting up. It's kind of like feeling... Did you ever buzz your kid's hair, head, and, and you feel them, and it's just like that? Well, they, they kept going, ooh, it's scratchy, Grandma. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, we're measuring it, and it's up to a quarter of an inch now. So I'm rejoicing. It's growing. I didn't know if it would grow back. But so, you know, it just has been uh, an interesting process uh, because I know that I didn't shut the door to cancer. God shut the door. He, you know, he, uh, there wasn't an option for going forward with it at all. And so unless God's, God changes things, I know I'll be seeing him pretty soon. And that's okay. That's a good thing. It's a precious gift, in fact. Uh, not many people have the gift that I have in that I have time to be able to work things through with my kids and my family. It's a precious gift. Tony Snow, again, I'm just going to quote a little tiny bit of what he said about this. 
Blessings arrive in unexpected packages. In my case, cancer. For those of us with potentially fatal diseases, and there are millions in America today, we find ourselves in the odd position of coping with our mortality while trying to fathom God's will. Scripture provides powerful hints about what all this means. First of all, we shouldn't spend too much time trying to answer the question, why? Why me? Why must people suffer? Why can't someone else get sick? We can't answer those kind of things. They're designed to uh, express our anguish rather than to get an answer. So we don't go there. I, he says, I don't know why I have cancer, and I don't much care. It's what it is. It is what it is, a plain, indisputable fact. Our maladies define a central feature of our existence. We are fallen. We are imperfect. Our bodies give out. But God offers salvation and grace. Isn't that a beautiful thing for him to be able to say? We don't know, any of us, what the end of our life is going to be like. But we do have the choice to decide how we're going to use it. How are we going to use this time? Uh, do you want to know why I have peace? Because that really is the biggest question. About 30 years ago, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I grew up in a little... Uh, my dad was a pastor of a little Nazarene church, and I, I mean small. I mean, our, our house was part of the church, you know, in the back part of it. So it was small. So 30 years ago, I came to a realization, even though I had grown up with the church, in the church, I loved Jesus, but there was something wrong in my life because my sin, and I, I want to define what my sin was. My sin was trying to live the Christian life. And that's something that all of us probably have, have tried to do. Because you know what? You cannot live the Christian life. He has to live his life through you. And when I came to the understanding that I would not only sin, and I could understand that, but that I was a sinner and that I needed to surrender my life, everything about my life, to him. And it changed everything. Uh, you know, the definition of sin is trying to live your life without God, without letting him rule you. Everyone has come to this place in their life of trying to run, run your own life. That is sin. There is only one requirement that Jesus makes of us. Only one. He says, he who believes, and that means placing your life in his hands, he who believes in the Son has life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So you either have the Son and have life, or you, if you don't have the Son, you are, will face God in the judgment. That's the only one requirement is to believe. Place your life in his hands. Uh, so after I placed my life in his hands, there was a different peace. But you know what else God gave me when he gave me his peace? He gave me an almost insatiable hunger for his word. It was like I could not get enough of it. 
you know, I started out doing two or three Bible studies, and I just found that I can't just do just the answer and fill in the blank. I wanted to know how it worked in the, the Word of God. I wanted to know not just how to study the Word of God, but how to get to know God through the study of His Word. Because we don't study the Word for knowledge. We study it to know God. And uh, so that's what has given me the peace, is because I know God. I know His Word. I know His promises. And I know that He has promised that He will never leave me. And I can rest in that. My passion for knowing Christ changes the way I view death. It really does. Because I know I've never done this before. (laughs) Neither have you. I've never been sick. I've never been in the hospital until until a couple of weeks ago, except to have my children. Uh, And so I don't know when my death will come. I don't know how painful the process will be. But I'm going to choose to operate on what I know rather than what I don't know. And what I know is that God is my God. He loves me. And I know that he is walking each step of this journey with me. I know that. And I know that one day I'm going to stand in his presence. I am totally assured of that. I know that I know that I know. Because it's written in his word and I can trust what he said. I will step off of this world, out of this world, right into the presence of Jesus. Because I know him. I want to back that out with, up with scripture too. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but is more necessary for you that I remain with you. Paul knows, and this is vital, because Christ is his life. Death is really to his benefit. Do you think of death that way? It's really a plus, but it's hard for your family. The the hard part is for, uh, and even for Paul, he says, you know, if I stay here, it's for your benefit. Because as, as I'm going to be laboring here, God's going to bring people into the kingdom. Life is going to be changed for people. And so I just don't know which to choose. You know, do I choose for me, or it's going to be better for me, or do I choose for you? And right then in Philippians, he stays around for a little bit longer because it's going to help other people. And so we're for, so grateful for that. The most painful thing that I'm having to walk through right now is watching others grieve for me. Uh, It hurts to watch my family suffer. Uh, I want to fix their pain. And I know that I can't do that. Only God can do that. I have the gift of time. I can cry with them uh, when they need to. I can help them see that I'm at peace, which hopefully will give them more peace. The other thing that God has done is he's given me a new boldness, a new boldness to share his word. And it's been the strangest thing. It's like I come in to, to talk to somebody and God just opens my mouth for the gospel. There's, you know, it's totally opposite of the way I would normally want to do it. You know, sit down, plan what I'm going to say. It's just like it just spills right out. And I just go, thank you, Lord. And I, I mean, to, it seems like to just about anybody I come in contact with, 
So, you know, if they start avoiding me, I guess that's the way it is. <laughs> but uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm just talking about some of the things that I'm working through right now. My sister came from Colorado to spend a week with me. She, she got here, the, she, started, she left Colorado the day I went into the hospital, so she spent half of the time with me in the hospital, and the rest of the time we were able to go through some of the old pictures and things and, and uh, just be able to relate. I, I've been reading a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I started sharing with her what, some of the things that I was learning about heaven there, and she goes, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I didn't know. Yesterday I got a little text from her and she said, I, I, I realized I haven't been in the Word enough to know what you know. And she says, it's given me a new hunger. I want to know God better. And I go, thank you. <laughs> but when she got ready to leave, I know that I probably won't see her again this side of heaven. So as we said goodbye, we just said, see you on the other side. And, and it was hard. Both of us cried. I have another friend. She has been my neighbor in, in an old neighborhood. We've, we've done a lot of things together. She was getting ready to go back to Italy. She teaches in Italy. And I had to say goodbye to her. But it was a different kind of goodbye. We both cried. But I couldn't say, see you on the other side. Because she had, I'd witnessed to her and talked to her about Jesus. But she wants nothing to do with my Jesus. She loves me and loves me dearly. And I thought when I say goodbye to her, it's forever. It's forever. And so, you know, we'll all still continue to witness to her via email. But uh, it, was, it was the end as far as that friendship. And that's hard. I have two boys. Uh, I've never seen them cry as adults until st- we started talking with them about what was going on with me. And... Uh, they they have been so sweet and so tender with me. I've just you know they just it's changing them. I can see one of them is just getting close. He's not a believer, but he's this close. My daughter is uh, my I'm her best friend. She calls me day daily, <laughs> sometimes more than once a day. Uh, but she says, Mom, I don't know what I'm going to do when I can't hear your voice. And I thought, you know, God's going to have to help you with that. She's a believer, a sweet believer in Christ, and she will make it. Uh, she will make it because she knows her God. She wants to know her better. She's him better. She's studying his word. She's trying to learn more about him. But because she has the Lord to walk through it with her, she'll be okay. Ken and I have been married for 37 years, and uh, we've had a great marriage. We have worked together and played together, uh, getting ready for the things that have been coming up. We've been going through all of our pictures, and uh, it's you know it's just wonderful to look, relive your life looking through all of your pictures. Uh, when I say work together, one of the pictures that we came across uh, this last week was uh, we remodeled a house about three years ago. And I had just stripped off all the wallpaper on wall, one wall, and there was this, the brightest, ugliest orange paint behind it you have ever seen. So I'm sitting there in my grubbies with all sorts of things. And then we show the next picture has a picture of 
the beautiful kitchen after it was done, and, and it was just so sweet to be able to see the difference of what we did just working together. We had a couple of guys that were helping us uh, do the tile on the floor, and they, uh, they were watching us work, and they said, I have never seen two old people work so hard. <laughs> They said, we can't keep up with you guys. Uh, and so it was, it was fun to, to, uh, as, to just to look back and say, we have had, we've had so much fun together, and that's a good thing. Uh, but I don't want to leave him. A lot of times we just uh, will start looking at the pictures or we'll hear a song, and we'll just have to go cry together, hold each other and cry, and that's okay because we're preparing each other for the time when we won't be able to do that together. And it's been precious. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> but um, one of the most difficult issues that I have, I have to face right now is trusting that when I'm not here, God is big enough to carry my family. You know, sometimes we think that we're kind of important in their lives, and we are. But God is big enough that he can do what God does best, and that is put his arms around them. He's the God of all comfort, and he will supply their needs, even without me, and that's okay. So that's my huge step of faith. I'm going to have to wipe my nose a little bit. Here we go. Let's, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 1.10 where it says, God has delivered us from such a great peril of death, and he will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and yet he will deliver us. I actually like the way the King James puts it, because he says, God who delivered us from so great a death, and he doth deliver us, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. In other words, there's three, three, three different places that he talks about deliverance. He says, he has delivered us. He will deliver us. He is delivering us. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like he's, he's, he's the deliverer. He's the one that's taking care of us. And he's the one that has, uh, has Paul has placed his trust in it. It's, it's, and I can say that God has delivered me right now. He has delivered me, first of all, from the penalty of sin, which is the biggest deliverance of all. But can God deliver me from where I am right now? Yeah. Yeah. We, we serve a God who is the healer. Am I afraid to ask for healing? I've got, some, I've got a couple of women here, <laughs> one of them sitting right here, uh, that is praying for my eternal, uh, for, for, my, for me to live. Uh, they are. They're praying boldly and they're asking God. But my faith isn't dependent upon my healing. My faith is based on the character of my God. And uh, so, and the character of my God is still, again, I love you, Cindy. I'm going to carry you through no matter what. Uh, Last week, somebody handed me a little card that says, perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is faith that trusts God faith that moves us to trust God when he doesn't seem to be moving. Let me read that again. I didn't read it very well. Perfect faith is not faith that moves God. Perfect faith is faith that moves us to trust God when he doesn't seem to be moving. 
you know. And that's really what we're doing. We're just trusting God. We're placing our faith in Him. Will God ultimately deliver me? No matter what happens, you bet. You bet. I, as I was thinking about this during the night, because I took some uh, antibiotics that kept me awake most of the night. <laughs> and, but I kept thinking of uh, the Pastor Sied that's in Iran. Uh, I've been thinking he's been in that Ivan prison for over a year now. He's, in some way, he's right where Paul is. And what has happened, he's, he's been tortured. He's been asked to deny his faith in Christ and returned to Islam, but he has remained a light for Jesus Christ. You know what he has done in that prison? There's over 30 people that have come to know Christ because of him. Do you know what his, his being in prison has done for the body of Christ? There are prayer vigils everywhere, people praying for his deliverance. And it has gotten the whole, the, the nation, or the whole body of Christ praying for this man. And because of those prayers, it's moving people to do something about it. They're not just praying for him. It, they have been moved to you know, talk to lawyers, to try and talk to the, the powers that be, trying to do whatever they can to get this man released. Is he delivered already? Yeah. Will he be delivered physically? We don't know. We don't know. But it has changed the body of Christ. We, have had a, we are part of that process of that deliverance because of our prayers that have prayed for his deliverance. And I think that is just the most wonderful thing, to be part of what God is doing. See, prayer, that's what prayer does, is it joins you to what God is doing so that you're praying the way that he wants it to go. Uh, and will the, uh, if, if Sayed is released, will it be because of the prayers? It will be because God is the deliverer. We get to just participate in what he's doing. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know that we have a part in what God is doing. I, was, I, I wanted to share with you a couple of things that have happened. Uh, well, I'll read verse 11 here too because you, you this really fits with this verse. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that many thanks be, may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. I have a beautiful prayer group that meets, we've met once a week for, I don't, I can't even remember how long, it's been such a long time, but we pray for each other, we pray with each other, and these, this group of women have held me up so much, whether I've been teaching, whether I've, you know, when I got sick, I mean, they were just right there, not physically, but they were with me in prayer, and we prayed. We, they, you know, it has been an amazing prayer group. And I, I think the reason why I love it so much is because when we pray together, it gives us perspective on what God is doing. It gives us unity. It draws us into what God is doing. And uh, the results of some of those, uh, the results of what those prayer have done is I can tell you every time I get to the point of being afraid or questioning, a card will come in the mail. I have several sisters. There's two Lindas and a Sue and a Nancy and a uh, ser you know several other people that about the time I get ready to uh, uh, fall apart, they're right there. I have a friend who 
says, you call me day or night, she'll come and cry with me and pray with me. That's what the body of Christ is all about, is to hold each other up when we're not doing well. And I'm so grateful for that. And so that's part of the way, you know, we've, Rod talked about that he's, that God is the God of all comfort. And part of the way that he becomes the God of all comfort is not only when he sits with us individually and weeps with us, but when the body of Christ becomes his hands and his feet that ministers directly to us in our need. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Um, I'm going to... Okay. I was going to leave you with a song. Can I sing real quick? Okay, I'll hurry. I haven't sang before people for a long, long time, but it'll be simple. Bear with me because my throat is really dry. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask besides? Can I doubt his tender mercies? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Thank you. Thank you so much for your life in Christ. Like the end of the passage says, and Paul says, I need your prayer so that we can together give thanks for what God is doing. I need your prayer. And so we'll do that for Ken and Cindy and the family. But she has spoken of life in Christ. And we're going to take some time to reflect in life in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever should believe upon him should not perish, but have life everlasting. And so we have communion together to remember that. And no matter where along the journey God has us, we have life in Christ because he died on the cross for our sin. He rose again and he gives us life.